Hello and welcome to the Carolina Snowflakes podcast, where two Southerners come to terms with their liberal snowflake tendencies. We're your hosts. I'm Amanda. And I'm Jason. And we're here with this week's episode of the Carolina Snowflakes podcast. This one's called Holly Waste Incorporated. And to get to why it would be called that, I'm going to tell a story. We're going to do two little bits here. It's going to be story time and then why this pisses me off time. <laughs> yeah, okay. So starting with story time, something happened at my workplace recently. What I do for a living has to do with vehicles. I do graphics on vehicles and make vehicles look a certain way. You know, sometimes it's police or ambulances or fire trucks, whatever. That's what I do for a living. Well, we got a customer who was from uh, Hollywood, California. A customer. Hollywood. Straight from across the country from Hollywood and they are filming something in the area and they wanted us to do some work on some cars. They made a deal with the local police that they would basically rent some of the cars from the police cuz they need police cars for this. We are changing the changing the graphics from the local police to be some make-believe police department in a county that does not exist. Right, okay. This is what we have to do and we have to do that and then change them back into our local police cars. Um, for, for this, for this movie, which is, or whatever it is, movie, television show, whatever it is. Now this customer, they are low person on the totem pole of a gigantic, huge production, a production from a company that we will say, uh, South American rainforest is the name of the company that has the money for this. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to say who it is. It was just, just a rainforest in South America that has a river. Are there piranhas in that river? Probably. Okay. And they have, let's just say, infinite amount of money Mm -hmm. for this particular job. So what they come to us with is like, hey, we need this really quick because we need it for this movie and we got to do shoots and whatever Hollywood lingo and just get it done. So we have to push everything else aside. It was a whole disaster. Um, it, It was annoying. Um, but what I noticed is that it was pissing me off on a different level. Like it wasn't just the work that was bothering me. I was like, there's something else that's happening here that's bothering me. And as we went working through it, I was able to more and more pinpoint what that was because we would have problems like, Hey, how do we, how do you want this to look? You know, because they wanted us to match vehicles that are on the other side of the ocean where they had shot other footage. Oh, mm-hmm. And they didn't have those vehicles. All they had was really crude, shitty photos of them, not in inches, because where this was on the other side of the ocean doesn't use inches. Nowhere on the other side of the ocean right. uses inches. So <laughs> none of it works, okay? Uh-huh. And so we just have these shoddy pictures from these people from overseas in millimeters, okay? Okay, so so part of this whatever film had been shot overseas, mm-hmm. they needed the vehicles that they used there to match mm-hmm. the vehicles that were being used here, mm-hmm. and all they could give you was pictures. Really bad ones, yeah. Grainy photos. Yes. But this is film. Why couldn't they have better photos? Who knows? There's, there are lots of questions. <laughs> so they decide, you know, basically what we want to do is you guys make the best judgment calls you can. And if they're wrong, we'll just redo it. And we're we're like, that's a weird strategy. Why would you do that? Well, we've got the money. We'll just pay. So, wait. So they said, you figure it out. Do what you can do. If it doesn't work, we'll just have you do it again. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And that, like, that is the strategy moving forward. And when we ask, well, 
could any of the people who like or would make these decisions like you know tell us what they want? Yeah. And they say, no, those people are so busy, they would rather just pay you to do it wrong over and over again until you get it right, because that costs less than their time. Wow. Wow. So rather than like take the five minutes uh-huh. to come over and talk to you all doing the work. To get it right. The whoever's. Has the decided it's more cost efficient. Director, producer, people who literally saw the vehicles that were being used mm-hmm. on the other side of the world. Right. Can't be bothered to right. come over to say, yeah, that looks right, or no, that doesn't. Right. They've decided that it would be more cost effective to have us do it wrong over and over and to pay it for it until it's right. Mm. And so to just guess. Okay. Because that's the way the system is set up. That's the way these these big, giant projects like this work. Okay. So that is what started to get under my skin or started to bother me. I was like, that's a really bad system. Like, why is it like that? There has to be a better way. Surely there are other films that are more organized. Well, as it turns out, no, they're not. Um, (laughs) All movies are like this, and it happens all over all all the time. Um, And the amount of waste that's created is gigantic. So I started thinking, like, not... My labor, again, I'm not worried about my labor. I get paid hourly. I get paid the same no matter what. Mm. So my personal stake in all this is removed. I'm thinking about this from a big picture standpoint. Mm. And to me, it seems like they came in, quote unquote, created a lot of work for our company and created a whole shitload of waste, paid for it, and then they're going to leave. And I was like, well, that's good for me and my company, especially if I had you know, get a bonus out of this or something. That's really good for me and my company. But what about the community at large? Was it good for us as a community that they came in and did this? And I thought, I don't think so. I think the money that they spent went to a very small amount of people, but the waste they created is at the expense of a whole lot more people that didn't get anything from it. I would say, yeah, at the expense of the community at large. Right. And also the environment, because you're talking about... Exactly. In your very specific case, you're talking about peeling off uh-huh. wrappings and vinyl. Plastic vinyl that's going into that's the landfill. literally just going to be thrown away uh-huh. over and over and over, and especially use- when they don't get it right the first time. Right, and using electricity to print toxic inks, you know, yeah, and all these other all things. That. And then on top of all that, they're driving these cars around back and forth needlessly because they're wrong every time, so then they have to bring them back. Mm-hmm. And this is all creating pollution. So my point was just that the the um, the negative impacts from them being here affect the entire community, but the positive impacts from them being here seem to affect a small number of people in the community. And since I happen to be one of them, that's sweet and all, but it, it, it seems wrong morally, I guess. Yeah. In my head, it seems like this system is bad. Yeah, and also you have to think like you're just one example, like mm-hmm. one little piece, <laughs> like one little speck of dirt in a much larger right. landscape of movie production and Hollywood. So I'm like, okay, well, if this happened with you for this one thing, I wonder how much this happens exactly in, in other places and just in general when it comes to Hollywood, because it's one of those things where you don't really hear a lot of like criticism when it comes to yeah, I know movies being made or film like sh- 
television shows being mm-hmm. made in in places like people tend to kind of get celebratory about it and excited about it. I know that was always my experience of it, and that this notion that it was bringing money into the community and that that was good. Mm-hmm. And as an adult and seeing the way that it happens, I'm like. That's not what's happening. It's bringing a little bit of money into the community for a little people. But what it's the major impact is negative for everyone. Well, did you meet any famous people for this? No. No? No. Oh. But I'm not interested in that really. Oh. Okay. What I'm what I'm primarily interested in is I wanted to know if other people had noticed this and that other people like is this am I crazy or is Hollywood like actually negatively impacting places when they go to travel there to film. And there isn't a lot of people saying that, which makes me feel like, am I crazy? Am I the only one making this argument? I doubt it. Yeah. No, I'm not not the only one, but the voice is small. That's because we're all obsessed with Hollywood. Yeah. We want Hollywood in our backyards. Yeah, I think this is a problem. We have the opposite of NIMBY when it comes to Hollywood. We're like, yes, in my backyard, Yeah, we do. We do. (laughs) NIMBY. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Well, when we first started talking about your experiences at work in this Holly Waste company, yeah, it reminded me that states usually have some sort of program or incentives in place to kind of lure movie companies to film there. Yeah, because unlike me, states seem to view it as an entirely positive endeavor. Most people do. That's what yeah. I, you know, I said. It's like the opposite of NIMBY. Mm-hmm. We want Hollywood in our backyards because we celebrate it. We think it's yeah. great. Uh-huh. And I was like, I want to know more about that. What is that? And so mm-hmm. it's called the Movie Production Incentive Program. Mm-hmm. And over 40 states in the U.S. have some sort of incentives in place <laughs> what about the other 10 they're like fuck you hollywood yeah, they're like can't be bothered we don't want your kind around here holly holly weird weird holly weird liberals <laughs> probably like florida and like alabama no, no i don't think so i think florida's got incentives I yeah probably imagine it's more like somewhere like idaho or something <laughs> even idaho has them oh do they yeah well now i want to know which ones don't yeah <laughs> anyway So more than 40 states do have some Mm -hmm. sort of incentive program, and they vary from, like, tax credits to refundable and transferable credits, Mm -hmm. grants, and rebates. Yeah. And supporters of these incentives say that they're good because they result in increased economic activity and job creation in the state where whatever's being filmed Mm -hmm. is filmed. But (laughs) I mean, I guess in the short term it does. Right. Opponents Uh say that the cost of the incentives actually outweigh the benefits. Right. And that money goes primarily to out-of-state talent rather than staying within the state of filming. Right. Yeah. And this was the other thing that I didn't realize. This whole, like, come film your movie here incentive program really started in the 90s. Hmm. And it was based on a perceived, quote, loss. Perceived loss. Yeah. So in the 90s, more and more movie production studios began going overseas, began going to other countries to film. Mm -hmm. And they said it was because it was cheaper. Yeah. 
And maybe it was. Uh-huh. But we here in America couldn't stand for that. Right? We were perceiving a great loss. Yeah, and we can't. Yeah, that's like outsourcing. We don't like that. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, they took so our jobs. They took our jobs. So yeah. in response, multiple states began creating these programs. Mm-hmm. And then other states would start their own, looking at states before them, like, did they make money? Is this working? And some states have fully embraced it and offer all kinds of crazy stuff, and other ones offer a little bit. And basically, there's really no good measure as to whether or not these programs have actually brought in uh-huh. substantial long-term economic yeah goodness. I would think that they didn't. And I would also find it very interesting that the reason that they developed these incentives wasn't because they found that it was good for Hollywood to come and they wanted them there. It was because they didn't want them going to Mexico to film or whatever. Yeah, I guess. And so it, they see Hollywood doing something they don't like and their answer is to offer to pay them more to do what they do like instead of punishing them for doing what they don't like. See my point? Yeah. It's always been on the benefit of Hollywood. We've always taken them to be the good guy in all of this, even though I think that they're not. Yeah, I know. But we're obsessed with them. Some states, including right here in North Carolina, have not only offered a program for incentives, but we've turned it into a tourism industry. Yeah. You can actually go tour locations mm-hmm. that were used for certain films. Yeah. And it's part of like a statewide travel program. Yeah. Well, the government has those people (laughs) whose job it is to to attract tourists and they got to do something, I guess. Yeah. But back to the point of does it really generate money? Eh. So here's an example. Michigan. Michigan spent $37.5 million in the fiscal year 2008 to 2009 in order to generate $21 million in production revenue. Hmm. Wow. So they spent more, yeah. <laughs> significantly more than what they made. Right. Was it worth it? I, I would say no. Connecticut in 2011 reported earning a dollar and seven cents for every dollar spent on film production incentives. Huh. So for every dollar that went yeah. out, they got a dollar and seven cents back. <sighs> and legislators in Connecticut have considered um, terminating the program. Multiple states have had legislators step up and be like, I don't think this is actually panning out to be what we thought it was going to be. It's so weird that this isn't common knowledge, though, because I didn't know this until it happened at me. Right. Yeah, I feel like probably unless you're directly involved, you wouldn't even know. I've never thought about it until it happened at me. <laughs> yeah, at you. That's a good point, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, what do what do the Carolinas offer? Mm-hmm. So North Carolina offers a 25% rebate on qualifying expenses and purchases made by productions while in-state. The rebate is funded through the North Carolina Film and Entertainment Grant, which currently allocates $31 million per year for TV shows and movie filmings in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Television shows must spend at least a million dollars per episode in North Carolina, and movies must spend at least $3 million 
in North Carolina. Yeah, and see, those kind of rules end up creating waste because they're like, literally, we need to spend yeah. this money. They're like, you have to spend X dollars while you're uh-huh. here in order to qualify for a rebate on what you spent. Which they think is good, but in the end, it's just waste. It's Creating just throwing money away. a lot of waste, away. which is why they told you it's actually more uh-huh. economic for us to just have you do it over and over uh-huh. again. That's because we why. have to spend that money anyway. That's why. If yeah. that, not that, we were just going to burn it, I guess. So in return, TV shows can get up to $12 million per season, and movies can get up to $7 million. Ah, wow. From the state while they sell. nuts. Now, South Carolina is a little bit different. They offer cash rebates of 30% on qualified expenses made in-state and 25% for those made out-of-state. South Carolina's like, we don't give a shit where you spend it. Yeah, we don't care. Just spend it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what? And also 25% um, wage rebate if they hire South Carolina residents while they're filming or 20% for out-of-state hires. Huh, wow. South Carolina's like, we give zero yeah, fucks. Yeah, they just don't. South Carolina Here, just Here, take care. our money. Yeah. <laughs> now, both North Carolina and South Carolina also offer sales tax exemptions. So you, when you go to film your movie in one of our Carolinas, you can apply for sales tax exemption, which means that anything you purchase, goods, services, hotel rooms, mm-hmm. food, you can get back on taxes on yeah. taxes or you just don't pay sales tax at all. Right. North Carolina picks up foots the bill. Wow. For you. Wow. <laughs> yeah, not nuts. It's insane. Yeah. Um, now, uh, South Carolina does not differentiate between the types of filming, like between movies, television or commercials. Okay. Their only rule is that it has to f- spend. They have to spend at least a million dollars. Hmm. Whatever it is. When I was looking into this, one of the rules that a lot of the states seem to have is that they need to include promotional material about the state. Georgia has that. You may have seen anything shot in Georgia in the end credits. It'll say filmed in Georgia and has a little Georgia peach. Yeah. That's they get an extra 10 percent off for doing that in Georgia, which I think is interesting. But also because of that, it has to be rated R or below because anything porn or rated anything not R, they wouldn't want their state material on. So therefore, if you want to film a porn in Georgia, you're out 10% right off the get-go, even if you do use the Georgia peach to be a butt, which I always thought it looked like a butt. they should. I know, it would be perfect for a porno, (laughs) the logo of the peach for a butt, but you can't do that. Uh, Well, you'll be losing 10%. You can do it, you just won't. Yeah. Say. I don't know what porn budgets are, but 10% is probably a lot. I don't either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems to me like this whole come film your movie here thing might not be Uh like the moneymaker or the job creator that people thought it would be. Because although it does create some amount, like you pointed out, it's so hyper local and it's only for a specific amount of time. And also a lot of these rebates and cash refunds and et cetera end up just going to the the actors. Yeah. They end up going to the Hollywood actors rather than back into the pockets of locals. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the jobs are like very specialized jobs like mine. Like not a lot of people do the job that I do. And so it's a specialized job. And what they found is that a lot of them are coming from out of the states that they're actually filming in. And so you're really only creating short-term specialized jobs, Mm -hmm. which isn't really doing diddly squat for your community. Now, North Carolina, as part of their 
film, economic, fund, because somebody had to have a job doing this. They do have sort of like a um, a cast of crew and people that you can contract with when you get here mm-hmm. that, are, that are employed by the state, and then you employ them. Yeah. So like if you need somebody who's an expert at mm-hmm. lighting or an expert at whatever sunsets on the ocean. Yeah. Like we've got it. We've got you covered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. North Carolina does have that in-house. Like we've made it here a thing. Yeah. Double the size of South Carolina's. Yeah, I still don't think, though, that like short-term specialized jobs are really good for anything. In fact, they leave those workers out of work after the production leaves. Yes. While they're in whatever town they're in, they go to restaurants and they go to hotels. That money gets gone real quick. Yeah, like, is that really how you want investment in your community? I don't know. I don't think most people have thought about it. No, because they just get excited because they think Tom Cruise might show up. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's tiny. He is a very slight man. He's, and crazy. And nuts. Mm-hmm. And since Tom Cruise is small, I thought about <laughs> other things that are small. <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, are we? Is this the right episode? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It is. And I was thinking about, well, I was thinking the salute, what the solution to this problem would be. I should back up a step. What would the solution to the, this problem with Hollywood be? And I, I came up with an idea. So instead of giving them tax incentives, we should um, charge them tax. So my theory is for every dollar over one, you get incentives and all the bonuses and all the reasons up to $1 million. And after your first million dollars, you pay $10 for every dollar you go over. You pay that in taxes. So wouldn't that kind of limit what Hollywood could spend? Yeah, it really would. And it would limit it down to a really low number, a number like a million, (laughs) which is a small number like Tom Cruise is small. In the world of movie production, it's very small. Yeah, it's very small. And But it also inspired me. It inspired me to think of some movies that were made for less than $1 million that are fantastic, phenomenal movies that changed genres and broke rules and ended up being awesome. So here I have some list of, uh, here's our couple movies that were made for less than $1 million to prove my point. Okay. Night of the Living Dead in 1968. They filmed that for $114,000 adjusted for inflation. It's 850000 Wow. So that's, even today would have been less than a million dollars. They used chocolate syrup for the blood and they oh, shot yeah. it in black and white. It was black and white. Mm-hmm. And it worked fantastic and it redefined the genre and it created a whole series of films. Oh, yeah. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, uh, the black guy survives all the zombies, makes it to the very end of the movie and gets killed by the police. What do you know? So it was very impactful. And this, is, again, is in 1968. So you can do something that awesome with less, less than, than a million, million dollars. Yeah. All right. Another movie, uh, Clerks in 1994. Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith made that movie for $27,000. That's what he spent in filming. Now, there were other production costs. It's estimated at about $230,000 af- after post-production. But for filming, he spent twenty seven dollars which he got by selling his comic book collection and maxing out a bunch of credit cards. Weren't those his parents' credit mm-hmm. cards? <laughs> and that movie is amazing. And everybody yeah. knows Clerks. And Kevin Smith became ridiculously a famous. legend. Also shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. And shot in the convenience store that he worked in while he was filming the movie. So he worked in the store all day and then filmed the movie all night in the same store. He basically lived in that store for months. Which is just crazy to think about. The movie Paranormal Activity in 2007. 
That was filmed for $215,000. That movie scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. And that was for post-production. Just the filming was $15,000. That's all they spent for Paranormal Activity. That's and that nothing. movie made millions. That's nothing. Fifteen k. Okay. Napoleon Dynamite in 2004. Shot for four hundred thousand dollars, less than half a million to make Napoleon Dynamite. They shot it. I love Napoleon. Uh huh. They shot that in Idaho in twenty three days. Wow. Uh huh. And it's a fantastic movie. Twenty three days. Yes. Wow. For less than half a million dollars, and you can get a movie that good. That's my point. The movie Evil Dead. In 1981, was shot for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That movie was so good they remade another one with a bigger budget because they were like, "This movie is so good it deserves a bigger budget." Which is so that's incredible, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my point is that you can totally do this, but you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have the most expensive movie ever filmed, adjusted for inflation, and it's Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. $378 million. $378 million. Adjusted, and that was when it came out. So adjusted for inflation, you're at over $400 million. Wow. And by my calculations, that means you could have made over 400 great movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good calculation. There. Yeah. Yeah. So my wow. point is that maybe we should invert this and tax the shit out of them. Because if they can afford to waste... million on, let's face it, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Not the best film in the world. Uh, Probably not worth that much money. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, not sorry, Johnny Depp. By the way, that new commercial that you're in. Oh my God, the Johnny Depp commercial. For the Dior Sauvage. It's terrible. It is awful, sir. He's playing electric guitar in the (laughs) desert. He's playing Wild Thing at like half speed. Yes. And then some wolves that are completely clearly 3D generated wolves come and walk beside walk him and he them. says like fearless, human, savage. No, he goes in the wilderness, savage. Savage. <laughs> and, and the elixir like, by uh, Dior. Yeah, and it's like Dior, savage. And it's just now. him with some wolves and a bunch cologne. of scarves and all his accessories looking like an asshole. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of my my solution to the problem. I for it. Yeah. You if should was, present this to our legislators. If I was emperor, that's what I would do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the word emperor <laughs> might be a hint that later emperor. on this episode, we might get to know something about an emperor. Oh, fun. Yeah. So on the topic of movies, I thought it might be kind of fun to look at movies that have been filmed here in the Carolinas hmm. and to see how many of them we've maybe seen or are familiar with. Yeah, probably a lot. Yeah. So in South Carolina... Now, these are not necessarily all filmed exclusively in these states, yeah. but at least pieces were. Yeah, parts. South Carolina, we have Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. <laughs> wow, that was a huge movie when it, it came huge. out. It was huge. It was filmed, but parts of it were filmed on Edisto. I think I saw that in the theater. Probably. It was 95. Yeah. Then this one was filmed in You're From, Buy, Sell, Kill, A Flea Market Story. <laughs> Filmed in Anderson. It's like a documentary. I guess. Is it about the jockey lot? Probably, yeah. I, I don't know. Have you, you? I guess you haven't seen it. No, I haven't. But I know of the jockey lot for sure. The was, flea market, whatever you want to call it. Was there some kind of murder there? I don't know. I've always wondered if the word jockey lot was racist. I feel weird saying it. Oh, good point. I don't know if it is or not, though. It might just be like little guys like that ride Small horses. Small people on horses. Yeah. Could so be. that's what racist is more like. Heightest. Well, either way, there was a movie made in 2004, and it was filmed in Anderson. If that word is racist, I'm sorry. I didn't know. We apologize. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Oh, nice. Charleston. 
And actually, Charleston has a lot. Yeah. Is a hotbed for movies. Yeah, there was a lot shot in Charleston. A lot of them. It's a very there. unique looking city. It it really has its own feel. Um, parts of Forrest Gump yeah. were filmed in South Carolina and different places, but in particular Walterboro and down in Georgia and Savannah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Notebook. Yeah. Parts were filmed in Charleston, Edisto, and Mount Pleasant. Amy Adams. <laughs> the Nutty Professor Two was filmed parts of it in Lake City. Huh. South Carolina. I thought that movie was almost entirely on green screen, but okay. No. And then, of course, the one you know for sure, Radio. Yeah. Was filmed um, in Anderson and in Walterboro. I know all about Radio. Yeah. I worked at the theater when that came out. and uh, I bet it was a big deal. Cuba Goody Jr. was at our movie theater. <gasps> really? Yeah. And so was Ed Harris. That's why. That is why people have no problem with right. Hollywood coming to their town. Right. Because they might get to meet a celebrity. It happened for me. I was I was a teenager working in the movie theater when that came out. That's kind of cool, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, in North Carolina, we have uh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Patrick Swayze. Swayze. <laughs> was filmed at Lake Lure. R.I.P. Other parts of Forrest Gump were also filmed here. Um, the scene where he's running. Um, <laughs> That's like the whole movie. I know, but like it's one of the like... The mountain scene. Oh, okay. Where he's running through the mountains. Running through the mountains was filmed um, in Linville, Grandfather Mountain. Okay. When he has the beard and then the shit happens. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Yes. That one. Um, the Fugitive uh, was filmed in parts huh. of Robbinsville, Bryson City, and Silva. That was a long time ago. And North Carolina, like I said, tourism, they've actually made where the train derailed and exploded. You can actually visit by train uh-huh. on the Great Smokies Expressway. And see. Um, or Great Smoky Mountain Railway and go see hmm. where the fugitive was filmed. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Really big deal. Um, the Green Mile, parts were filmed in Blowing Rock. Mm-hmm. The Hunt for Red October, parts were filmed in Lake James. That was a great movie. The Last of the Mohicans, parts were filmed in Chimney Rock mm-hmm. and Biltmore. Yeah. Again, you can go visit these places. Yeah, like, I remember that. Here was filmed such and such, you know. Um, Nell, did you ever see that movie? No, I didn't. With Jodie Foster? It's so good. I never saw that one. Oh my gosh, Nell is such a good movie. Um, filmed in Fontana Lake. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. That's a great movie. <laughs> Parts were filmed in Wilmington. Why is that such a great movie? Because ACDC does the entire soundtrack for the entire film, which I think is a genius move, and that ACDC should do the soundtrack for every movie ever, and that would solve at least that part of the problem. I'm in full agreement yeah. with you on that <laughs> one. Um, Talladega Nights was filmed so, parts in Charlotte. Yeah. The Charlotte Motor Speedway. The Motor Speedway. Yeah, it does feature in that film. Mm-hmm. The Hunger Games. Huh. Really big deal. They came to town. They filmed in Asheville, Barnardsville, Black Mountain, Charlotte, Concord, and Shelby. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Neat. Yeah. Well, I wanted to do another get to know an emperor bit this week. And I was trying to think of what I could connect to Hollywood because as we know, in ancient Rome, they didn't have photography, let alone moving photography. But they did have something close. The closest thing I could think of to the version of uh, Hollywood that they had in Rome was the uh, the gladiators, the Roman gladiators in the arena. And that led me to an emperor that we're going to talk about today. We're going to get to know Emperor Commodius. Um, his name is Commodius. We're going to laugh about that because the word commode. But it's actually not related to the word commode at all. I had to look it up because I didn't believe that it wasn't related to commode. It's not. But as it turns out, it's not. Yeah. Um, this guy, Commodius, we're talking from 161 to 192 was his rule. 
So um, the word commode didn't come about until like the 18th century. So that's literally like 1600 years later. Right. Um, math. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so um, what what we need to know about Commodius, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. So his reign marks the end of what was called the golden period of Roman history, also known as the Pax Romana. That was 200 years of glory and greatness for Rome, and it ends with this guy. So we know where things are headed. Another Trump figure, perhaps. Oh, dear. Yeah. So he was the son of a famous emperor, Marcus Aurelius, who you may know. Oh, yeah. Um, His son was this guy, Commodius, and he had uh, an older twin named Marcus Aeneas Verus, but that twin died during a surgery after a battle, and so Commodius became the only son of the emperor Marcus Aurelius. And at that time, the, he, he was part of a consecutive group of emperors who had been what was called bo- born in the purple, which means born as a legit son to an emperor while he was alive. Right. That was known as born in the purple. Right, because we had talked about in a previous emperor mm-hmm. um, segment about how a lot of them ended up adopting yes. older male mm-hmm. heirs. Yes, and him being born into it was very considered to be a good sign. Everybody thought he was going to be great. Didn't necessarily turn out that way. <laughs> Did not go well. Um. So his legitimate son, he and his son kind of co-rule for a little while. Uh, the, the idea is that, you know, uh, his son was young and he would become what was called a consul, which was like the first ranking officer to the emperor. And so they would, uh, you know, kind of rule together. And then Marcus Aurelius dies from natural causes. And Commodius becomes emperor when he's about 18 years old, which was quite convenient. Uh, because 18 is when you start to kind of get reason, usually. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. For minutes, it might be a little older, honestly. In his case, you'll see what, why. So as soon as he got in power, the first thing he did was devalue Roman currency. That was the very first thing, which back then meant literally reducing the amount of silver per coin. Uh-huh. So he just made it so from now on, put a little bit less silver in the coin. So he was cutting. Yeah, the basically goods. cutting. And they they had been cut before, but he did it twice during his lifetime from 79 to 76% and then again down to 74%. That's silver uh percentage of silver per ounce or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he basically, you know, started off just skimming off the top, which is not a good start. Dirty. Um he, his rule was comparatively peaceful in a military sense, like uh, who we talked about with Nero. He didn't really have any interest in going and conquering other people because he was very, very self-centered. So the main thing that happened during his rule was a lot of political strife and capricious behavior from the emperor. His ascension marked the descent from a kingdom of gold into one of iron and rust, according to Cassius Dio. So he was the kind of dude who liked all the attention. He was kind of a megalomaniac. And he wanted all this power. He did have four elder sisters, and each of those sisters had a husband who wanted to be emperor. And they all got together and plotted against him, (laughs) and he killed a few of them and exiled one of his sisters. And then some other people planned and tried to kill him. Both times the people tried to kill him got caught, and the bodyguards killed them or executed them and exiled them. So he had two conspiracies against his life during his reign. So it wasn't like all peaches and cream even though he wasn't really fighting wars. So in in opposition to the Senate, Commodius pronounced uh, like iconography. He, he, says, he stressed that he was uniquely 
divine person. He, he made statues of him as Hercules, saying that he was a son of Jupiter and that he could defeat all things. He took the head of the statue of Nero and replaced it with his head. <laughs> so he photoshopped himself. He photoshopped himself in, yeah. Uh. And he would do plays where he played Hercules and would claim to be Hercules. He put Hercules in his official title and name. So he made everybody think that he was Hercules, even though he wasn't. And he loved being a gladiator, so he decided he was going to fight in gladiatorial combat. And he oh. did it quite a bit. He he fought as what was called a secutor, so they had different versions of um, gladiators. A secutor was usually had a shield and a sword. Um, sometimes a short sword, sometimes a long sword. And he fought as a secutor, but everybody always let him win. So, like, he, he had the Putin thing going on where he would fight in the arena, and he would kill mostly animals... And then he would beat other people in combat and scar them. Mm -hmm. And he would say that scar would forever be a symbol of power for them. And that if they got scarred by him, that that meant they were great somehow. So in a way, he made it beneficial for them to, to come in lose. And, and, and lose to him. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very megalomaniacal Putin type like thing. Crazy person. Um, <laughs> he killed like... Tons and tons of animals. Like, that was a big thing. He liked to just go in and kill exotic animals. According to Cassius Dio, he once killed 100 lions in a single day in the arena. Like, he would just go kill lions. Well, I find that offensive. I know. He decapitated an ostrich once with a specially designed dart and afterwards carried the sword and bleeding head of the dead bird over to the senator's seating area and motioned as they were next. So, like... He would like, he had an ostrich running and decapitated it and took its head over to the Senate and was like, y'all are next. And threatened them with uh -huh. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> which is pretty extreme behavior. What a weirdo. From somebody who's an emperor, yeah. What's with all these crazy people? Uh, well, I think, you know, they were a little inbred. That has something to oh, do yeah. with it. Mm -hmm. um, on other occasions, Commodius killed three elephants on the floor of the arena by himself and a giraffe. That's terrible. Isn't it? But that's what people used to go watch. Like, that was their version of movies. Oh, like, yeah. That's what I was kind of getting at. Like, where we go to Hollywood and watch movies where people fight in 3D animated space, they used to go watch people kill animals and kill each other. That's so gross. Yeah, well, I'm not saying we need to be Roman. I'm just pointing out the history of getting to know okay. this guy. All right. So, um, he basically... He basically did the same thing as Nero and had himself appointed as ruler and greatest victor of all these things, but it all got erased after he was he was murdered. He was assassinated. The end of Commodius' rule ends. So finally, somebody did get rid of him. With an assassination. And it was all downhill after that. Not a lot. Um, a lot of the Roman emperors for a while are pretty shitty after him. Like uh, shittier than that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It gets worse. Um <laughs> I, I led with Nero and Commodius, but it actually gets worse. But what I find fascinating about him is that he had this idea, like Putin or like Trump, that he was this God figure and tried to get everyone to be convinced that he was this God figure. Yeah, but in like the Trump end, who put himself on the cover of Time magazine. Exactly. And this just, guy's like superimposing his head on Hercules' body. Exactly. And just like them, history will go down and say they were shit. History well, will go down and say that these people were bad, just like they did with Nero and just like they did with Commodius. That gives me hope that one day in the history of things, Donald Trump will be looked down as a Nero or as a Commodius, just a bad emperor who was full of himself and ruined everything. And we will erase all that propaganda that he put up. We'll take down the statue of Nero and we will move forward. That's my hope and metaphor for uh, this 
weeks get to know an emperor. Well, it's interesting to think about the Hollywood budgets and compared with um, the budgets that they had in Rome, or even better, with the budgets that we have for the show, which is zero dollars. <laughs> and we have filmed, I, did, I said film, but I mean, we might as well have filmed. We could have filmed. We, we recorded. recorded ourselves doing many, many episodes. In fact, this is number 55, I think. Yep. Um, so we have done all that on a budget of zero, and it is excellent. And we have a whole backlog that you can listen to on our website. Carolinasnowflakes.com And if you don't believe us, we have uh, throngs of fans on our Facebook that you can interact with. Facebook.com forward slash Carolinasnowflakes and if you don't want to get lost among the throngs and you want to be an you individual. You just wanted to say throngs. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say it again. Uh, you want to be an individual, then you can totally email us and uh, we talk a little bit more casually at our email. Carolinasnowflakes at gmail.com. Gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.